It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Shooting is more important than ever in the NBA today. And so as we come to the end of the NBA's offseason, we celebrate the Magic's history with three-point shooting. And it is a good one. It's time to talk Magic history. It's time to talk three-point shooting. It's time to talk the evolution of basketball. It's time for Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. are indeed locked on magic today is september 14th 2022 my name is philip rossman reich i'm the site expert and editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com once again talking to you from the past i am currently on vacation so i'm not around so uh apologies no update from Eurobasket. Uh, if there's any news that breaks um that's my excuse uh, I, I could talk about it live um our our next episode of Locked On Magic, um, the episode that will follow this one, um, probably coming out Saturday night, Sunday morning. That's when I'll do all the catch-up. That's when I'll do everything um, to kind of kind of get myself back on track. Um, as always, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to follow at OrlandoMagicDaily.com as well as at OmagicDaily on Twitter. Twitter, um, despite being on vacation, I will still be connected. I will still be trying to watch Eurobasket, still be trying to uh, catch up on everything that is going on. But today we're going to talk about throughout August, uh, we tried to tell stories and tried to highlight the Magic's history with shooting. Um, and, and, and it is a good one. It is, it is actually one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite things. And how the Magic entered the league, shooting was not really a thing. There were 90 season, the Magic's first season in the league, uh, that took more than 10 three-pointers per game. And, and really, we did not see an evolution in three-point shooting. So I want to break this down into, into two parts. And of course... It's the two kind of essential central teams and eras of Magic history. We're going to talk about the 1995 team and what they did to change change the league and, and how Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson were really one of the fir- some of the first players to really embrace three point shooting uh, and why they are still considered some of the best three two of the best three point shooters in Magic history. Then we'll flip over and, and talk about Stan Van Gundy and what the Dwight Howard Orlando Magic did to kind of accelerate the three point revolution that that was already underway, but really accelerated to what we've seen today. And then we're going to close the show and honestly talk a little bit about where it goes from here and and, and what the Magic need to do to kind of get back into the in, in, back into the lead, honestly, as far as, as, as three-point shooting. And, and maybe there isn't an evolution other than to say that everyone's just going to be taking more of them. But before we do that, I want to thank you all again for making Locked On Magic part of your day every day. No matter when you listen to us, whether it's first thing in the morning, whether it's right when we upload, we truly appreciate you making Locked On Magic part of your day every day. Remember, there's a great Locked On podcast covering every single team in the NBA. Just search for Locked On and the team you're looking for. The Locked On Podcast Network, it's your team every day. If you uh, if you go back to the pandemic days uh, when uh, Bally Sports was showing 
old Orlando Magic games. Um, if you watched any, and I love watching old Orlando Magic games. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. I have the Orlando Magic Vault on OrlandoMagicDaily.com where I try to collect as many YouTube videos of old games as I can. But um, this is a... Uh, watching basketball from the, the early 90s it is a very different experience than it is today. Um, and, and, and almost frustratingly so. Um, I, I remember watching the night uh, uh, games from the 1995 season, not even just two years ago, but before then, in the late aughts, in, in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there, and just saying, like, my man, just step back and take a three. There's just, it, it's glaring how few three-pointers are taken. And it's not that shooting wasn't important. Everyone believed shooting was important, but this idea of spacing the floor, the, the idea of the three-pointer is worth an extra point, take it, use it, um, that's not something that really resonated strategically. Um, it was a post-dominant game, and teams weren't allowed to double-team the way that they are now because of the illegal defense rules. And so there's a lot more space for post players to, to, to work and and, and, and that's where the value in the league was. Like I said, in, in the 1990 season, the Magic's first season in the league, there were only two teams that shot 10 or more three-pointers per game. Um, the Magic were not one of them. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was the Cleveland Cavaliers, led by Mark Price as well as Ron Harper, um, and Craig Elo, also a really good three-point shooter. Uh, guys, well before their time, watch some Mark Price. If that dude were born... Ten years later, he he and beyond just the ACL thing, that dude were born ten years later. He would have been a superstar in this league, and, and probably would have been uh, not Steph Curry before Steph Curry, but that's the kind of player that would influence a Steph Curry type. And and you know, Del Curry obviously was a contemporary of Mark Price uh, in, in the league, and the Denver Nuggets, and the Denver Nuggets at that time under Paul Westhead played a breakneck, fast-breaking style. They were really ahead of their time. That expansion Magic team under Matt Gukas. They actually were a top 10 team in pace that season. But teams did not run to get three-pointers. They ran to get to the basket. They ran to get to the foul line. They ran to beat the center down the floor because once that center is parked in the paint, it's going to be tougher to to get there. The progression out to the three-point line was something that took a little while. And really the revolution began around the 1995 season. The 1995 Finals, I don't think we talk enough about it for how revolutionary this Finals was. Um, And it was revolutionary because the Houston Rockets and the Orlando Magic were both top 10 teams in three-point shooting and were really the first teams that used the three-point, or really the first teams that successfully used the three-pointer as a weapon to win championships, to win titles. This is, this is like, Again, a, a seminal moment in NBA history that I, I don't think gets talked about. And, you know, I got to sit here, and I think the Orlando Magic were a great three-point shooting team that year. I think they made like eight three-pointers per game, which is a, lo- a lot for that time. Um, the Rockets were really the revolutionaries here. They were able to come back from a 20-point deficit in Game 1 because Robert Ory, Sam Cassell, Kenny Smith all hit threes. And obviously, that game ended on... Kenny Smith hitting a, uh, Robert Ory hitting a three, I believe, late in, in game one in regulation, and then Kenny Smith tying the game with a three-pointer after Nick Anderson's missed free throws. This was, you know, Michael Jordan had the shoulder shrug for sure, and that, that showed you the power of the three-pointer, but this was a, a, a championship team that really relied on the three-point shot. And, and honestly, if you look at the Magic themselves, 
what changed and transformed their three-point shooting into what it became in 1995 was two things. First, we're going to start with the second thing, actually, because it builds the drama to to do that. Um, The second thing was Shaq's arrival. Obviously, Shaquille O'Neal coming uh, to Orlando changed how that offense ran. All of a sudden, you had this super athletic seven foot one behemoth that you couldn't cover one on one. Not you know, Hakeem Olajuwon could, maybe Patrick Ewing could, maybe David Robinson could, but most teams could not cover him one on one. And then you add Penny Hardaway to the mix, and all of a sudden you need the floor spread, and suddenly you start to see some of the modern concepts. You know, sure, Horace Grant's only going out to 18 feet. But you start to see the modern concepts creep in, and the Magic shooters, two of them particularly, really begin to step up and really begin to make teams pay for crowding the lane so much. The first thing that really changed the Orlando Magic, and, and honestly was part of the revolution of the league and someone I don't think get, gets all gets the credit he deserves, and, and he was part of a wave of guys. It wasn't just him, but Dennis Scott's arrival in the NBA was a truly seminal change in the way teams thought about three-pointers and the way teams thought about three-point shooting. Um, You know, sure, Dennis Scott, not known for his great defense, but he was such a valuable three-point shooter, and he was not terrible in the low post if if you you had a smaller defender on him. Um, But his three-point shooting really changed the game, and his his thoughts and beliefs on how to use this three-point shooting really changed the game. Um... I remember he's told this story a million times every time he comes to Orlando. But he went to Georgia Tech. He had to convince Bobby Kremens to allow him to shoot three-pointers in transition. You know, we, we joke about Pugets now, but back then, that would have get you immediately yanked if you took a three-pointer in transition. That was not the point of a transition. You're, you're on the break. You get to the basket. You get to the foul line. You get a bucket. You get a layup. And if you don't do that, reset the offense and go. You do not stop at the three-point line. You get in the paint. Dennis Scott flipped that on its head. Dennis Scott was allowed to take those kinds of shots. And he was very, very good at them. Very, he, he was one of truly the first three-point specialists. Guys who were just three-point shooters. And on our list, uh, on OrlandoMagicDaily.com of the greatest three-point shooters in Magic history, he is number two. Um, you can make an argument for him to be number one. Personally, I had him number three on my ballot. Um mostly as an honorific. Um, uh, but the top, the guys who are our top three shooters in Magic history, you, you can make a really good case for all three. But Dennis Scott was, was someone who really shifted how three-pointers were used. And very quickly into his young career, he was among the leaders in three-point field goal attempts. Like, leading the Magic in three-point field goal attempts. He's, he's still, to this day, Despite the three-point revolution that has happened, and yes, I know he played seven years with Orlando, despite the three-point revolution that has happened in this league, Dennis Scott is still the all-time leader in three-point shots in Magic history. This is one of the most influential and most important players to the development of the three-point shot, as well as to Magic history. And uh, and really, I hope that his uh, that his hall his Orlando Magic Hall of Fame induction is just a, is is it, it's it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when does the scheduling work for him? Because he's very busy. He's got the, the NBA TV gig. He's very, very busy. Uh, but he deserves that honor as much as anyone else uh, in this team's history. The other player worth noting in 1995 and, and part of that 1995 era was Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson was a solid three-point shooter in college. He shot, I think, 34 35% from three in college. But that was the college line. 
part of the flying Illini with Kendall Gill. Um, it was a very good team and a team that did get out on the break as well. But Nick Anderson was not a three-point shooter when he came to the NBA. The Magic did not use him as a three-point shooter until Shaquille O'Neal arrived. The value of Nick Anderson coming out of the draft was, you know, his athleticism and his ability to get to the basket. Um, you know, he was a dunker. Um, you know, he was in the three-point contest, I believe, uh, in 19— I believe he was in the three-point contest when the All-Star game was in Orlando in 1992. Uh, but he also did a slam dunk contest. He's one of the few players in NBA history that has done both a slam dunk contest and a three-point contest. But his three-point shooting didn't really jump until Shaq arrived. Um, and, and, and the improvement that he had as a three-point shooter, even though his free-throw shooting always, you know, yes, Nick Anderson and free-throws, I know. Um, his free-throw shooting nosedived after 95, but it was, it was always a little uneven. Um, that, was, that was always a weakness in his game. But Anderson became a, a, a great three-point shooter. And that is something that, again, changed the league. The 1995 Magic are still one of the teams that everyone talks about. And I think they, I think everyone talks about them because of the potential or, or the seeming lost potential of, of them not actually winning a title, of this this fire burning so bright and so fast and then dimming very, very suddenly with Michael Jordan's return and Shaquille O'Neal's departure. But this team, I think, also deserves memory because... They were part of this vanguard, this revolution that changed three-point shooting. Nick Anderson, by the way, um, I believe we had him number five on our list of all-time, uh, number four, excuse me, number four on our list of the all-time best shooters in Magic history. So we're talking about a, a success, obviously, climbs you up these these opinion lists, um, but he was really important. And this 1995 team was really, really important to how three-point shooting developed. Over the next decade, three-point shooting became the norm. There were no longer teams who couldn't afford not to shoot threes. Very, very slowly, of course, everyone started pushing out to that three-point line. You had Tracy McGrady come in, whose pull-up three-pointers were just incredible. You had players whose role it was specifically to shoot threes. The Magic had a big role in normalizing that in the late 90s. But what really helped put this league into overdrive was obviously a team in Phoenix, but a team in Orlando too. And we can't tell the story of three-point shooting without talking about the 2009 Orlando Magic. We'll get to them and talk a little bit about the revolution that they brought coming up here in just a moment. But first, a quick from our pals at Built Bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And, and guess what? There is a new flavor out there right now. Let me introduce you to your new favorite, Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs. They have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks right on the top, and of course, they're covered in 1% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. Plus, it's healthy for you. Cookie Dough Chunk Puffs are only 160 calories, and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. So run to Built.com to snag a box for you and the family. It will be the perfect treat, or you can find a really good hiding place and just hoard them for yourself. No judgment here. Like all Built Bars, new Cookie Dough Chunk Puff is covered in 1% real chocolate. That means they're healthy and tasty, too. Chocolate-covered cookie dough with a light, fluffy texture. It's so good. I've actually had it. It's delicious. I'm going to have one right after I'm done recording this while I watch uh, Germany Hungry. Don't spoil it for me. That's okay. You can spoil it. I, I, I think I know what's going to happen. Um, you're going to love the new Cookie Dough Chunk Puff, whether you need a snack for your workout, a late-night treat, 
or just need to grab a quick bite. Built is the perfect protein bar, and they taste better than a candy bar. Ditch the calories, fat, and sugar. Grab yourself a Built Bar today. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKEDON15. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON15 and get 15% off your order. Again, promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your order at Built Bar. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. I don't mean to skip over uh, some of the great shooters that the Magic had during the Tracy McGrady era. Um, Tracy McGrady, obviously, a, a really good three-point shooter, a high-volume three-point shooter. Pat Garrity, um, someone that got a lot of love on our list. We actually ranked Pat Garrity as the uh, number five shooter in Orlando Magic history. A really important player. Um, you know, just, just a, again, great three-point specialist. Someone who really kind of started the evolution that became complete in the 2009 uh, finals and with the 2009 Orlando Magic, I I I don't believe I don't think I'm overblowing this here, and I don't think I'm I'm overinflating the mag the inflating the Magic's importance. Um, you know, there are always teams that influence the teams that break through and become historic, and, and, and so you know I'm not sitting here saying that that the 2009 Magic or the 1985 Magic are Two of the greatest teams of all time. They're certainly not. They didn't win championships, and, and that's that's ultimately what puts you in those hallowed halls. What I'm saying is, the things that they did influenced future champions and, and kind of served as proof of concept for future champions. These are teams like the Seven Seconds or Less Phoenix Suns, who really toyed with the idea of position and positional versatility. That toyed with the idea of pace. That really said, hey. The three-point shot is worth more than a two. If we can find a way to get more three-pointers in the other team and shoot them well enough, we're going to win a lot of ball games. And their ideas with pace and and and, and really stretching possessions—that was, you know, again not a precursor, but concurrent with the analytics revolution that's occurred in the NBA over the last, you know, now 15 years. Um, the 2009 Magic were a perfect crystallization of the, crystallization of this. As we all know, or at least as the story goes from Stan Van Gundy and several other Magic people, it was a complete mistake that Orlando revolutionized the league. They had Hito Turkoglu on their roster, they had Dwight Howard on their roster, and they went out and signed a guy in Richard Lewis. And as the story goes, Richard Lewis was adamant that he would not play power forward, that he wanted to play small forward. But, of course, you're looking at this roster you can't bring Hito Turkoglu off the bench. You know, he had some struggles early in his tenure with the Orlando Magic, but he was really coming along and they had a really nice 2017 season. The whole reason the Magic, or uh, 2007 season, sorry. The whole reason the Magic missed the playoffs in 2006, was, or in 2005, was because he broke his, broke his arm late in the season and, and the team kind of sputtered down the stretch. Um, 2006, Orlando made a really nice late season run. Turkoglu was a big part of that. It was... It was clear that this is a guy that has to play and has to play meaningful minutes. 
And so the idea was quickly kind of devised that we got to figure out a way to get Turkoglu and Lewis on the floor at the same time. In comes an unfortunate injury to Tony Batie. Love you, Batman. Uh, Tony Batie tears his rotator cuff defending uh, uh, Dwight Howard, and Stan Van Gundy approaches Richard Lewis and says, we're going to start you alongside Hito Turkoglu. We're going to start, start you alongside Hito, and we have this idea to make this team truly different, truly unique. The stretch four revolution was already on the way. You know, we talked a little bit about Pat Garrity. Sam Perkins way back in the, not way back, but in the early mid-90s was really one of the first stretch fives. Arvidas Sabonis was able to step out to the three-point line. Um, certainly, if he had played the prime of his career in the NBA, he would have been the first real stretch five in NBA history. Um, the magic, the the, 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 the Sean Marion with the seven seconds or less Suns obviously kind of played with versatility as well as an undersized power forward. Robert Ory was a great three-point shooter as a power forward as well. Helped the Lakers win championships um, in, in the early 2000s. The, two, the, the 2009 Magic were a product of all of these. And this idea of, we have Dwight Howard. We have the most dominant center in the league. There are no other centers in the league. If we play untraditionally and spread the floor and give him space and put a great three-point shooter in Richard Lewis in one quarter, a great three-point shooter in Hito Turklu in another, Jameer Nelson, who is a solid three-point shooter, he made our top tw- top 20 list of the best shooters in Magic history. Go sign a guy in Mikhail Petras. You know, again, yes, they traded Trevor Ariza, a, a, a shooting trade they certainly regret, especially with what Ariza did to them in 2009 finals. But trading Trevor Ariza for a shooter in Brian Cook, another stretch four in Brian Cook, as well as a shooter and defender in Maurice Evans, that made a little bit of sense. That actually, I, I, I honestly... I will still go to bat for that trade. It made sense, and yes, it cleared the cap room so the Magic could go get Mikel Petras, who was a pretty good player too. Trevor Reza just wasn't the shooter back then. And so this revolution of putting Richard Lewis at the four is one of the great changes in NBA history. You look again at the player... What, what made Richard Lewis work was that he could defend a Kevin Garnett and put him out on the perimeter and force him away from the rim where he was... Uh, where he was less dangerous. I mean, it, it really is a shame we never saw the Magic play against the Celtics at full strength. And, and, and again, 2010, certainly the Magic were at full strength, and it wasn't quite the same team as it was the year before. But, um, you know, I, I still think the Celtics probably win that series in 09 if they were fully healthy because Garnett was nimble enough to, to, to cancel out Rashard Lewis. And Rashard Lewis had a great NBA Finals, um, but Lamar Odom and Trevor Reza were part of what allowed the Lakers to win that series. The 2009 Magic were really the first team to reach the NBA Finals with the three-point shot as their main weapon, at least in this new era. Their strategy was Dwight Howard dump-ins, Dwight Howard pick-and-rolls, or three-pointers. And they were, and, and everyone said throughout the course of the Magic's run in 2009, you cannot win as a three-point shooting team. Charles Barkley was still saying it until Golden State won a championship. You can't win a title as a three-point shooting team. And yes, the Magic didn't win that title, but they showed the rest of the league that you can get very far if you are a great three-point shooting team. It is not a gimmick anymore. You spread the floor, you have versatile players who can switch, who can defend any position, who can defend above and below their, their height, and you can really toy around and be creative and do a lot of different things. I would argue, personally, the Los Angeles Lakers won that series because they also embraced this idea and this vision. 
Andrew Bynum and Paul Gasol could not handle Rashard Lewis and Dwight Howard. But Lamar Odom, and certainly not Hito Turkoglu, uh, uh, too. Lamar Odom and Trevor Reza could. If he had one of Bynum or Gasol on Howard, they were both solid defenders. Howard obviously had his flaws, but the real trick to beating that 2009 Magic team was being able to handle Turkoglu and Lewis. And the Lakers were one of the few teams in the league well-equipped to do so, that were well-equipped to, to handle that kind of versatility that the Magic had. And so in, in reality then, you know, not that the Lakers were a great three-point shooting team, but the Lakers were one of the first teams to kind of begin to embrace this versatility or understand that versatility is just as important as pure size. And that the three-pointer can be a weapon to, to, to add to that versatility. On our list of the top 20 shooters in Magic history, we did name Richard Lewis the best shooter in team history. And I, and I, I do concur with that. His ability to shoot, we don't talk or give Richard Lewis the props he deserves enough. Um, you know, I think some people still get hung up on the contract, but as Stan Van Gundy has said repeatedly, we got to the finals because of Richard Lewis. That contract was worth every penny, and I agree 100% with that. Richard Lewis changed how we view the power forward position, what power forwards can do, and was just a dominant and scary three-point shooter. And when you add J.J. Redick, number four on our, number four on our list, I believe, number, number four or five on our list, you add Mikhail Petrus, you eventually maybe get Jason Richardson, or you get um, you know all the shooters that the Magic had on that team. You've got... You've got something really special. And there's a reason why we still talk about that 2009 Magic team with such reverence and such respect. Because they really changed the game. They really changed how we view, not just the three-pointer, but how we view offense in general. And it's hard to repeat that. It's hard to, to, to get that feeling back. Because... Now everyone plays that way. Now everyone searches for a Richard Lewis type guy or a Hito Turkoglu type guy. Everyone wants those players. And honestly, like the 2009 Magic and the way that they shot the ball and the way that they played, you can feel the effects of that team and, and what that team accomplished throughout the league today, even if they didn't ultimately win the title. So, what comes next? Now we're going to talk a little bit about what happens to the three-point revolution and where the magic fit into that. We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Right now, I think the discussion when it comes to the three-pointer and three-point shooting in the league um, is sort of about how it's too much. 
Um, it, you know, if if there's, it, it almost feels like, you know, when the Magic started 34 years ago, that there wasn't enough three-point shooting. No one realized the weapon that it was. And, and now to a lot of people, to a lot of, you know, purists, that's in quotation marks, it feels like it's too much. You know, I, I still feel people say like, oh, he's a big, he's got to get into the post. And I'll be like, actually, the numbers say the post post play is the least efficient shot in the game. It's it's not a good shot to have. You know, you you watch how teams play. They're just trying to spread the floor and create all this open space in the paint to get guys get guys to the basket and kick out for three-pointers. It's, it's a simple game. And honestly, like, the way that the NBA is being played now is the same way we all played NBA Jam. Like, I, I, I literally think about this all the time. Whether it's NBA Jam, whether it's NBA Street, um, you know, any of those arcade games, the, the, it was intuitive that your goal was get to the basket and dunk the ball or get to the basket, kick out to an open three-point shooter and just shoot threes. You know, the way people play NBA 2K these days, it's just spamming threes. Um, people call it spamming threes. It's, le- it's you know, uh, I, and I haven't played 2K23 yet. They said they were going to fix this a little bit uh, with the with the stamina dribbling feature, but um, I can't tell you how annoyed I would get with people going left, right, left, right until the computer can't process process things and they just jack up a three. It's it's annoying as hell, and it's, it's, it's not basketball to me. Um. I'm not against three-point shooting at all. I'm not against the use of the three-point shot. This is just the way the game has evolved and the way skills have evolved. Play, you play the way your players play. And so what then is the next evolution and, and, and where do the magic fit in on this? The next evolution to me has to do with centers because um, it, it's really not an evolution of three-point shooting. It's an evolution of versatility. What I think we're seeing throughout the league these days is kind of an inversion of what we saw in the 90s, where your small guard organizes the organizes the team, dribbles really well, dumps it into the center, and the center does the work in the post. Nowadays, we kind of see the opposite, where the center is at the top of the key, or, or your center is your best ball handler, You know, where Giannis Antetokounmpo is 6'11", and you know dribbles like crazy. Victor Wembanyama is on his way. He's a 7'3 guy who can hit step-back jumpers. Kevin Durant is the most lethal mid-range shooter this league has seen in a very long time at, what, 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", somewhere in there. This inversion, Nikola Jokic is a great example of it, this inversion is really what's next. And it's not even an inversion. It's this idea that positions don't matter, at least offensively. Your position is who you can guard um, more than what you can do offensively. Because on offense... Everything's mixed up. If you dropped someone from the 90s and showed them Giannis Antetokounmpo or showed them Luka Doncic, they'd be like, what are we supposed to do with that? Our bigs can't move like that. And to those who say basketball in the 90s was better, like, look, styles are different, but the game always evolves. The game always pushes forward. And personally, if you ask me, if the game isn't getting better, if players aren't getting better, if you keep having a tough time imagining... Uh, you know, uh, if you, you you can't see how things evolve and progress, or we go backwards to a, a worse era, that's the problem. You know, I think the reason why we saw the rule changes we saw in the early two thousands was the game wasn't entertaining. It was just a series of isolations, um, which led to low scores because isolations are really bad plays, and didn't show off the skill of these teams. Um, and again, even back then, three point shooting wasn't as much of a specialty now. If you had an Allen Iverson, you know, Allen Iverson and James Harden are kind of cut from the same cloth, but 
had Allen Iverson in today's NBA, he'd, he'd kill. There's there's no doubt about that. But that's because strategy and thought and, and the thoughts of how to play the game have evolved. And that's a good thing. It's hard to say, it's hard to think that three-point shooting is, is going to change dramatically. It, it does feel a little bit like we've hit a ceiling beyond centers and stretch fives being able to shoot threes. And so really what the evolution is next is having bigs and wings who can run point, who can play make, who can do all the things that we traditionally associate with point guards. This is the evolution that comes next. And unfortunately, unlike the previous two evolutions, the Magic aren't necessarily leading it. The the Magic are trying to catch up. Now, obviously, you have to have the players to do so, and that's been obviously the part where the Magic have struggled, but you look at how the Magic broke through, finally made the playoffs in 2019, it's because Nikola Vucevic started, started hitting threes. And that evolution in his game unlocked a new tier to this team. It's going to be the same with everything else. If Paolo Pancaro can be a point forward, and like, I, like, I said, like I've said, I want him to flirt with triple doubles this rookie year. If he's flirting with triple doubles, then we got something really, really, really special um, on a regular basis. Um, if Paolo Bencaro can be that kind of a playmaker, then the Magic all of a sudden have a 6'10 playmaker. And that's really exciting. I've kind of posited that Wendell Carter, one, one place that I'd like to see Wendell Carter improve is I'd like to see him be used in more Jokic-type sets where he is a passer and a playmaker for his teammates because I think he can do it. I think he can get his assists up to around four or five a game um, it, it, when he's fully optimized. Um, I'd like to see him have some big assist games this season. That changes the team. That changes the outlook. And he's already a nominal three-point shooter that gets some respect as a shooter even though his percentage wasn't great, that changes how he attacks. That changes how he moves and thinks. Essentially, you know, kind of what we're seeing as the answer to the three-point revolution now is switching, just straight switching. And, 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 if, and if I do have a concern about the direction that the NBA is going and the direction that the game is going is that we are heading back toward an ISO-heavy offense, an ISO-heavy offenses where teams play these switches to, to seek out favorable matchups and then just clear the floor and we look like the early 2000s again, which was not good basketball. That's my big concern. And obviously, you lose some three-point shooting that way. You lose a lot of things that way. But the game is going to continue to evolve. And, and honestly, I can't sit here and predict what the game is going to look like because the player and personnel will always matter as part of that equation and, where, and how the game uh, develops. But we just don't know. We don't know what the next great tactic will be. Everyone thought that the Magic in 2008 were going to finish last in the Southeast Division. They criticized that Rashard Lewis move. And then it all clicked. And then Rashard Lewis bought into being a power forward, bought into the way Stan Van Gundy was using him, and revolutionized the league. That's usually how this works. And that's going to be the exciting part to watch over the next... Several years as the game always continues to evolve. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked On Magic. Of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore md. Subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts. Hit your tune in. Himboy, Google Play, Spotify, Odyssey. All the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. For the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at omagic. I will be planning a weekend episode coming up later this week. I actually fly home on Friday, so it might be Friday night, Saturday morning. It might be Saturday. Um, it might be coming out Saturday afternoon. I'll catch up on everything that's going on 
give my takes on what's what's going on if anything breaks. Um, but I want to thank everyone for listening to these couple episodes while I've been on vacation. Truly appreciate it. Um, you can you can always reach out to me at omagicdaily. We're getting ready for the season to start. We're going to start player outlooks on next uh, on our next couple episodes on next week as well as we get ready for the NBA season. We're coming up on one week away from media day. It's 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 really exciting. I'm I'm, I'm excited for media day. Just even just to be back in the training facility again. But that's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you, uh, thank you again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. For your next listen, go check out Locked on NBA, the latest rumors and news around the NBA. Check it out on Locked on NBA Today. Get that bookmark now before the season begins. But thank you again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. For Orlando Magic, Dan, Locked on Magic. Right. We'll see you again next time for another episode of Locked on Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.